All right, we'll get going. Welcome everyone. Um, good to see you all again. Um, can you hear me okay? Okay, good. So um, we're gonna start, the, the, the topic tonight is concentration, but we're gonna start with a, um, a 25, 30 minute meditation um, that will uh, walk us through different steps. Um, I'll explain the steps in a second. And then I'll talk about concentration later because I realized that I told people that I would have a you know 30 minute meditation and people could sign off then. Um, and so tonight I will have a talk after that, but I want to stick to that basic structure of substantial sitting and then talk as much as possible. So, um, so the sitting um, that we're gonna do is gonna have different steps. And don't worry if you're relatively new to meditation, just follow along. All the directions will be included along the way. You don't have to actually know where we're going or understand um, all the steps in advance. But um, I think sometimes it's nice to have a sense of what's coming up. So I just thought, I'd, I, you know, so there's no surprise. So um, I'm going to begin um, by with a few different steps designed to sort of prepare the mind and the heart um, for practice. I actually am taking these steps from Lee Brasington's book, uh, Right Concentration, um, where he suggests steps like these. Um, and uh, they begin with just bringing attention to the breath, um, expressing gratitude for all the people who have sort of kept this form of practice alive um, for as long as it has been. Um, and, and in order to also just cultivate a sense of gratitude. Um, and then just a bit of loving kindness directed at ourselves. And then maybe someone who we feel especially sort of warm hearted towards all um, as ways of sort of softening, opening the mind and the body, preparing it for concentration practice. Um, oh, and then well, actually one step I forgot in between is um, uh, after um, the, the moments of gratitude, we can also um, sort of express internally our own intention to devote ourselves to this path that, um, that a lot only are we grateful for others for having kept this practice tradition alive, but that we resolve to continue it in our own lives um, and for the benefit of others. Um, and in every case, you should feel free to word these sentiments in ways that feel most authentic to yourself. Okay, so I'll give you the basic idea, but the exact wording is not important. So, um, so if you feel like, you know, that, that, that sounds a little formal or stiff, or it's not my way of, just the sentiment is what matters. So, um, and it could even be wordlessly, you know, that you um, sort, of, sort of bring to mind that sense of thankfulness and also kind of just resolve um, intention, how, whatever works for you, the idea will be clear. And then we'll turn to um, concentration practice. It'll, it'll go in different steps. 
First will be one-pointed concentration, where we bring our attention simply to the sensation of the breath entering and exiting our nose. So it's a very classic, traditional anchor. Um, and so the feeling of the, the breath at the very tip of our nose, or maybe even at the very sort of top of our lips, whatever that. So we'll just focus single-mindedly on that for a bit. Um, and then we'll begin to open things up. We'll do two-pointed awareness where we incorporate the anchor of sound. So as a way of sort of widening the scope of our awareness. And by doing that, necessarily softening the narrowness of our concentration. And then after we do that, we'll begin thought noting or um, just simple mindfulness practice where we use the anchors of breath and sound to stay present. But the point isn't to stay so focused on them that we are oblivious to our thinking or anything, but so that when thoughts come by, we actually just note what they are. Um, because ultimately the point of concentration is not to concentrate, but to prepare ourselves for um, more clear-sighted mindfulness practice. And I will talk about that, the point or the place of concentration practice within a broader vision of practice in my remarks after the sitting. Um, I just wanna, but we're gonna do it in the sitting itself and that will give us a taste of how all this sort of um, fits together. Okay, so um, that's a lot and I mean, it's, um, it's more so that when you see me go through the steps, you aren't like, oh, wait, where's he going? So you kind of know, that's really all it is. And so now you can stop worrying about where we're going. Just know that there are steps that are, that are, that are intentional, they're laid out and just go along for the ride. You know, that's it. Um, okay, so please get in a comfortable position. This sitting will last, um, I would say 25 minutes. Um, and if you aren't familiar with meditation, um, a good position is just one in which you are comfortable where the back is upright, but not in a stiff way, just, you know, in a dignified a way that it's uh, conducive to alertness, wakefulness. And so that the breath can move freely. So the front side is open. So the chest and the belly can expand freely. And you want to be relatively comfortable. I mean, you don't want to feel too much discomfort, which would be too distracting. So once you have assumed a position that you feel like would be good for the next 25 or so minutes, um, please take just a few deep breaths in through the nose and out through a slightly open mouth, making your breaths nice and slow and long. In through the nose and out through your slightly open mouth. And let your mouth come to a close and let the breath go in and out through your nose. And as you inhale next, say silently to yourself, breathing in, I calm body and mind. Breathing out, I smile. 
Breathing in, I calm body and mind. Breathing out, I smile. Do that just a couple more times to yourself. And now take a moment to just express internally gratitude for all of those in the past, known and unknown, who have kept these contemplative practices alive such that we are lucky enough to discover and learn them in our own lifetime. Think how easily such practices could have died out or not have found their way to us. Think of all the things that had to happen, all the people who had to practice diligently to teach, and also just the good fortune that somehow in our life, we came across this tradition. Say thank you to all of those who have made it possible for us to be here together doing this. And I actually like to add a moment of gratitude for all those in the world now who are trying their best to live this kind of practice life. It's not easy to do and it's rare and it can be lonely sometimes. And so just a moment to appreciate all those who we know and don't know, those who are here with us now and those farther afield who have taken upon themselves to continue these practices, to keep them alive. And now take a moment, please, and in your own words, express your own resolve to live this practice life, whatever it means to you, whatever you're doing it for. It's not easy. The way I put it to myself was I resolve to continue this practice to realize this practice in my life so that I can be a benefit to others. But whatever phrasing, sentiment feels right for you, take a moment to express your intention to practice. And now let's transition into a bit of loving kindness practice. So please bring your awareness in a loose and soft way to the center of your chest, your heart area. And just feel the breath and any other sensations you feel in the center of your chest. 
And please silently repeat these lines to yourself. There are four lines. I'll repeat them slowly, giving you time to repeat them to yourself. And the words are not the important thing. It's the sentiments the words express. So as you repeat these words, try to feel the sentiments the words express. And if you need to find different words, please do. So taking yourself as your object of contemplation, say to yourself, may I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy. And may I be at peace. If thoughts carry away, you can become distracted, just bring yourself gently back to the phrases and to the sentiments and the sensations in your heart space. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy. And may I be at peace. For the next minute or so, please just repeat these four lines at a relaxed pace to yourself, directing these sentiments to yourself, and feel free to alter the phrasing if that feels like the right thing to do. And if you feel any warmth developing in the center of your chest, your heart space, use that as a place to anchor your attention as you continue this meditation. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy.
and may I be at peace. Now please bring to mind someone for whom you have deep affection, love. And we will repeat these four lines, now directing these sentiments to that person who holds a special place in your heart. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. And may you be at peace. Please take the next minute to repeat these lines towards that person, or if you want to also bring in another person, feel free to do that as well. So we're now going to move into the one-pointed concentration phase of this sitting. So please bring your awareness to the very tip of your nose, where you can feel the sensations of the breath as it enters and exits the body through the nose. You may feel the breath just at the very rim of the nostrils, or you may also feel a bit of the breath on the flesh of your upper lip. Just focus your attention on the physical sensations produced by the breath right there at the tip of your nose. If thoughts carry you away and you lose track of the breath, please don't fret about that. It's natural. Just when you notice that you've lost track of the breath, pause, relax for a moment, and gently bring your awareness back to the breath. We want a soft and gentle focus on the breath, not a tight, effortful one. It's okay if the mind wanders, that's natural. 
just gently bring it back over and over again. Some people find it helpful to have a verbal anchor along with the physical one, so that when you breathe in, you can say in to yourself. And when you breathe out, you can say out. Try to keep the majority of your awareness on the sensations of the breath rather than the labels, the in and out. But the saying in and out as you breathe can sometimes help keep your awareness on the breath. Experiment and do it if it's helpful and not if it's not. We're not concerned with thoughts or emotions or physical sensations or perceptions. We may be aware of them, but the attention is really just on the breath. Let everything else recede to the background.
So please continue following the breath, the tip of the nose. But while you maintain awareness of the breath, widen your awareness so that you can also hear all the sounds around you. So this is a kind of open hearing. You're not listening for particular sounds. You're not trying to identify sounds. Think of yourself as like a satellite dish, just receptive to all the sonic signals around you. So part of your awareness is on the breath, just as it has been. But now it's open enough to be explicitly aware of all the sounds around you too. If you've never tried this kind of double awareness before, it may be hard to hold two things in your mind at once. In that case, just gently move back and forth between breath and sound. But once in a while, try to hold both simultaneously in your awareness. And with practice, you'll be able to. Try not to let a single sound that might happen to occur around you go unnoticed. You're wide awake, open to everything, every subtle texture of the breath in your nose, every even tiny sound in the space around you. Once again, we're not interested in what our thoughts are about, what emotions we're having, any other kinds of sensations. Our awareness is focused, though with two different focal points. Can you hear the sound of your own breath as part of what you are hearing?
Now we're going to open and soften our awareness a bit, transitioning into mindfulness practice. So while continue to use the breath and sounds as anchors, include in your awareness the sensations just of your body as a whole, your hands, your legs. And obviously you can't now focus tightly on all these things at the same time. So just, you know, let yourself be aware of whatever is most noticeable at any given moment, breath, sound, sensation. But from now on, we are interested in what our thoughts and emotions might be about. We're not letting ourselves get carried away, but we are interested. So when a thought comes by that has enough pull to hook your mind, to catch your attention, Take note of what that thought is about and say gently to yourself, thinking, thinking, as a way of disidentifying with that thought. So you're observing that thought rather than thinking the thought. And same thing with emotions. If you feel fear or frustration, anger, sadness, just note those, sadness loneliness, frustration, and then come back to the anchors of breath, sounds, and just your body as a whole. And if that all seems a little too much, then just focus on the breath, but keep noting thoughts and feelings as they pull you away from your anchor. The point is to use some of the concentration we've built up in the earlier part of the sitting to now examine the functioning of our mind with more clarity than we have in ordinary life. If the use of labels like thinking or sadness or feeling seems clunky to you, feel free to omit them. Some people find them very helpful, but other people find them clunky. The point is to observe the thought or the emotion. The label is secondary. But do take care because it's easy to think we're observing a thought when we're actually just identified with it. And that's where the label can be helpful.
Okay, take your time coming out of this. Open your eyes gently when you feel like it and feel free to move your body if you want to stretch. It's good to see you all. So um, if you came just for the sitting, please feel free just to log off at any point. Feel free also to log off after a while and people can leave anytime you like. Um, so I guess um, maybe I'll just start by leaving a little space for any questions or just remarks. If anyone wants to share how aspects of the sitting went for them or questions they might've had about any of the steps. And then I can move into my own remarks afterwards. I'll just leave a little space for people to gather their thoughts and share if they'd like to. And remember that sometimes it can be so helpful for someone else to hear how something went, especially if something didn't go well, like it felt hard. Um, it's so easy to think that, you know, I'm the only one who, for whom this sitting isn't is going well, or he doesn't know how to do this right. Or, and it can be really important for people to hear from others that no, it's not necessarily that easy. Um, and it's not. I could hardly keep myself awake through that mm. one. Yeah. Yeah. Morning. Yeah. The loving kindness really sets me at ease. And then I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> there are worse things than being at ease. <laughs> right. So I'll consider that actually a success. <laughs> yeah. Good one, Peter. Who is me? Monkey mind. Right. Yeah. That's right. I'm just going to, okay, I'm going to share something that actually wasn't on the, the table for tonight, but just um, putting it out there. Um, I am actually like in my fifth day of caffeine withdrawal. <laughs> I gave up coffee um, on Sunday and um, actually all caffeine, not just coffee, like caffeine. And, um, and I'm someone who basically imbibed about three strong like cups of coffee a day like the equivalent of that and let me tell you it was like withdrawal is a good word to describe <laughs> what it felt like um but um but the reason i did it is because i've been having this kind of nagging feeling that um i've been using my sittings to actually in a way counteract some of what the caffeine was doing to me um, there was a kind of agitation that was I, like, I use it for energy, you know, obviously. And also as a, as a teacher and all that, it helps in those ways, but um, there are certain forms of mental agitation, also, especially frustration around work, which um, I, I start to wonder, like, is this perhaps actually feeding into it a bit, you know, making it. And anyway, 
so it's not for any moralistic reason. I don't think anything's wrong with caffeine. Like if all, you know, it's just like, it's actually like thinking maybe the, the cost is more than the benefit for me. So, um, but it's actually turned out to be like, like wonderful. Like the headaches are awful. The muscle aches are awful, but like there is a kind of settling of the body. It, it's fascinating. Like I, I, I just, 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 yeah, just walking around feels like I've just been like sitting more regularly because the body isn't kind of like getting is, I don't know. Anyway, so it's, I, it was, I was inspired by Michael Pollan's essay in Harper's that's about caffeine. He has a new book out about opium, caffeine, and mescaline. You know, it's called, this is your mind on plants. And the caffeine section is good. I actually finished the mescaline section. It's not, I'm actually not very impressed by that one, but, um, so it's fascinating. And if any of you are um, thinking like, you know, you're kind of on edge all the time, there's something that seems too hard about like quieting the mind, it might be worth taking a look at caffeine intake. You know, you, it's actually was a revelation to me how much a small thing like that, or what I thought was a small thing like that, uh, how, how deeply it was affecting my consciousness. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to be some like, you know, anti-caffeine Nazi or something. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not moralistic about this at all. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, <clears throat> just please don't drink your, like, you know, your latte in front of me. <laughs> on <the> Zoom screen. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay. So um, while, I was, while I was riffing, did anyone have anything that came to mind they want to share? Or should I just move into my remarks? Hi, Bernie. Denise and Sylvia. So Denise first and Sylvia, yeah. I just had a really hard time focusing on one person mm. during the loving kindness. I found myself with each sentence to see somebody else. And, and um, I went with it, not, not thinking that there was anything wrong with that, but it was just, I mean, in terms of concentration and trying to focus, it was, that part was very difficult. That, I've had the same feeling sometimes Denise actually and sometimes I'll actually say like um I'll just take like all the students I teach at the college as the object of loving kindness or, or all the people in this group you know um or my family you know as a group sometimes um so and I think you're right there's no wrong and in fact you know the classic last line right of the meta practice is may all beings be happy right so it's, it's not as if like taking groups is in any way against the spirit of this practice at all so so i just want to say i relate and yeah go for it yeah go where the spirit moves you yeah sylvia yes uh first i want to say i'm happy to be back it's been a while uh i was traveling overseas in my family and um i could not practice because of trains and planes and mm. and um so this is the first time i've practiced long a sitting in a while and it's um it's amazing how much more um un, mm, how difficult it was to settle down i don't even know if i settled down after the 25 minutes i don't think i did but it's it's um it's like a it's like a, a muscle memory that if you don't practice it on a daily basis, like I was trying to meditate at least five minutes or 10 minutes a day, but it was many, many, many days I didn't. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how the mind just 
goes back to it reverts to where it's been going where it was for so many years uh, and it makes me realize the importance of um, daily practice and how it like you said this is not easy to do to um, settling down and quieting is much harder than being frantic yeah it's yeah i it's good to have you back sylvia um and you know i think you bring up a really interesting like bigger issue which is not only is it so important that we maintain a daily practice that like you know that they build on each other or at least help maintain the continuity but i've actually this is a realization i came to some years ago but i realized that one of the biggest um, factors in how a particular sitting would go is like what I did between the sitting and the one before, like, you know, there's, there's no boundary between what we do on the cushion, what we do off the cushion, you know? And so, and it's actually, um, this brings me to the, the, the topic tonight, you know, it's like Buddhist practice um, has three main components. Um, two of them we're very familiar with when I mean, we practice them just now, concentration, often known as samadhi or jhana, right? And insight, you know, or wisdom, prajna, you know. Um, but the third, which actually doesn't get as much attention as it should, is shila or morality, which I think broadly means just how you conduct your life, you know, because like one of the categories, like how you make your living, you know, because like it's going to be hard to have settled sittings if you're, if you're making your living in some really unethical way, you know, um, or you're exploiting other people, right, all the time. Um, and, um, and I, 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 tr- I doubt any of us are doing this, you know, so I don't think this is an issue for us, but there, but there's smaller things like, um, do I let myself, do I let my mind just run crazy and get fully, you know, totally distracted by this or that, or binge this chemical or, or media or this or that, or, um, do I let my uh, anger run wild uncontrolled between sit like that, those, all those things, the bigger sort of the whole context of your life has a profound impact on every sitting. And so um, I've actually come to think that it's not that, that what happens in a sitting isn't even about that sitting, right? And so no wonder you couldn't do it in 25 minutes because it was like, you were feeling like you said, it's karma, like all the karma of all those moments when your mind was running free, right? And I think, um, I think the right way to take that is not as like, oh, I, did, I made a mistake, or, but rather just as like, a way to deepen your aspiration, right? To, 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 to do the hard work. Because actually, ultimately, you've tasted, Sylvia, I know this, you have tasted the fruits of meditation practice, right? The, the calm and the peace and the joy that can come from it. And so really, um, that's what we are depriving ourselves of when we let ourselves go into the freneticness of life. You know, it's, it's easier, but ultimately much more painful, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, so concentration is interesting. You know, um, it's really important as I already touched on in my, in my class last few weeks ago. And so, and because it's a recording, I'm not going to repeat that stuff, but um, I think, you know, I think I just wanted to say a little bit about um, how concentration is really so valuable for the way it can deepen the insights we get 
when we eventually turn our attention to how our mind functions, right? So like when we start to, to, to take an interest in our thoughts or our feelings, watch that rushing monkey mindish street, right? What, uh, the jumping around or the rushing whitewater stream or sometimes the calmer stream, right? When we don't have concentration or mental stability, it is really hard to see anything with any clarity, you know? Um, and it's not, so um, ultimately the point of practice is really to see who we are, right? I, I, Peter, how did you put this in your chat? It was like, you know, who is me, right? Um, that, that is really, uh, well, hold on, my screen's going crazy here. That is really the ultimate point. Um, and insight practice, awareness, where we note our thoughts and feelings is the golden road to that goal. But without concentration developed to a sufficient level where we can see our mental processes with some kind of clarity, it's just not gonna go anywhere. You know? And so I think, um, that's why, and I and I think I've just been I just been hearing from in different directions, many many different directions, not necessarily just from this group, but people in this group, but also people, students at, at the at the college and other people I just know, you know, often say, just I feel like so scattered, and I feel like I just can't settle down at all. And I, I know it sounds like some of you were feeling this way tonight. Um, and when that is the case, it may be more important to focus on concentration practice. So they get a little bit of stability before trying to get some insight into what the mind is doing. Um, and I think that um, the reason I'm sort of highlighting this because it is just simply because I think I've neglected it. You know, it's, it's just, I haven't given enough due to this pillar of practice. Um, for, for reasons I've discussed in the past or historical reasons about the development of Zen in the United States, and they don't not really of interest to this group, but there are reasons why I think I've been wary of emphasizing concentration. Now, wary about the ways in which people can sort of instrumentalize concentration or to avoid dealing with their psychological stuff. But the truth is, if you don't have concentration, you can't deal with your psychological stuff. I mean, you, that's that, that, so they, it's, it's really, they go together, they're complementary. And I think I just want to sort of, um, correct the imbalance in my account of practice by saying, you know, concentration actually is really important. Once you develop a certain level of concentration, then when you do insight practice, like noting, oh, having a thought, um, I'm terrible at everything, having a, then doing that kind of practice will itself deepen your concentration. Concentration can be deepened by insight practice. But you need to get to a certain level, I think, where it's not just, you know, crazy monkey mind, you know, rushing stream where like it literally is just, you know, and actually this is, if you ever do feel like, oh my God, I don't even know what's going on. You can just say that. Like um, Ezra is the one who actually gave me this advice. Sometimes I just say like, um, I sort of label in a generic way, like uh, uh, catastrophic thinking or like uh, confusion, you know, just, just, just like, you know, just, just as a way, global way of saying, okay, I sort of see what's going on, even though I cannot see the individual thoughts. But as you develop concentration, then you begin to see the actual individual building blocks 
of what makes up that cloud of confusion. And you start to even see the space between them. And that's where the, the deep transformative liberatory power of practice starts to really show up. Um, and that's when you start to even realize like, even though I actually feel this emotion or this emotion is there, I, I see it, I'm noting it. It's not actually compelling me to feel bad or to act in self-destructive ways in the way I knew it used to. And so it's interesting. It's like, you can see that you are still who you are. Your karma is still your karma. You still have the thoughts you always had, but you have a different relationship to them. Um, you can literally see them without being driven by them. But it's that line, you know, for, for a long time, and I think sometimes for years, when we're labeling thoughts, we're really still thinking them, you know, like having a thought, I'm, I'm angry, or having a thought, he's a jerk, right? Um, like, eventually, you might actually be able to see that thought, um, even see the ways in which you might want to affect particular parts of your body, like tension, create tension in your throat or your abdomen, and yet not believe it. You just see it. But in the early days, you're going to just label and you're still going to be thinking that thought, like thinking he's a jerk and actually thinking he's a jerk, you know, and that's natural. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's, there's nothing more, um, I don't know, like more of a waste of a time than setting up ideals about how we think, how, how far we should be along and what our practice should feel like, right? Like, who are we fooling? It's like, you know, um, so just kind of just be patient and there'll be moments. It's not like after slogging for you. It's like, there can be even moments in that those early days where like you suddenly have clarity on a certain thought, like, oh my God. You know, and it won't be continuous, it won't be for a whole series of thoughts, it won't be for a whole stretch of time, but there'll be thoughts that you suddenly have a slightly different relationship to. And that will, those, those little cookies will inspire you to keep going. Okay. Um, so concentration, it, it gives you focus and it, in a weird way, and I don't quite know how this works. It seems to slow down the stream of thought um, because like, you know, Obviously, like when we're in ordinary consciousness, our thoughts are racing so fast that you can't speak fast enough to label all those thoughts. I mean, like, you know, like you just wouldn't be able to. I don't, I don't, I probably could have a thousand thoughts in a, in a minute, right? Um, but when you get concentrated and the mind settles, it's as if maybe, maybe some of those thoughts just are so low level, they don't even emerge into consciousness. And then only the ones that kind of have a little stickiness to them start to, you know, to come up and you, and so whether it's slowing down or it's just filtering so that only some emerged awareness, whatever it is, it makes it possible to see thoughts more in slow motion. And I think that's gonna be another thing that um, an important benefit of this will, that will allow insight to, um, to accrue much more powerfully and quickly. Um, I think the last thing I wanna say is that these jhana states um, that I talked, uh, that, that the, the readings I sent out talk about. So uh, when I lived at the Zen temple for a few years, we didn't talk at all. I never heard the, the word jhana, even though actually jhana, jhana is the word Zen. I mean, Zen is the Japanese word for jhana. Um, and, but um, we never talked about the states. We never talked about these different altered states of consciousness that you can get when you meditate. Um, and almost most Zen students I know are in the same boat. It's just interesting. 
Um, it's just not part of the tradition. Uh, what I've heard is that Tibetan Buddhists have talked a little bit more about it, but really it's the Southeast Asian Theravadan Buddhist traditions have kept this practice alive. But even there, not, not, so, not so much. It's still kind of relatively like niche part of that world. Um, but so when I read Lee Brasington's book on right concentration, where he actually just lays out the eight different jhanic states they can get into when you, when you meditate, it was kind of a revelation. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, I really wish I had been exposed to this much earlier because, you know, when you just sit for long periods of time, you just naturally, of a, uh, as a matter of course, fall into various sort of concentrated states. It's not a big deal. It's just, um, but, um, and it was, it, it was good to know that actually that Let me put it this way. It, it was, it was, I think I'll, I'll put it this way. I think a lot of people can be fine without ever knowing about them. I, I don't think everyone needs to study this, okay. But I have come across people who have experienced some of these kind of deep concentrated states, but actually in a, a very problematic or unpleasant way. Um, and I think that's where it's, I think it becomes useful to get a little bit more knowledge about what these are. So for example, um, in the first jhanic state, so the, the first level of concentrated sort of focus that, um, Lee Brasner talks about, it, it's, a uh, it, this, the meditator as, um, he or she enters that state experiences, um, kind of ecstatic energy, um, a sense of like, you know, uh, rapture and then deep joy. The energy, the rush of energy one gets that Brasin describes and the description is quite powerful um, is, is complemented by the deep happiness or joy that one feels. But I actually know someone personally who when they started doing Zen practice, experience something like this, but only the energy and not the happiness or joy. And actually it felt really bad. It felt really unpleasant. Like it was like, just like she described as being like fire, you know, running up her spine. And Brasington points out that this, this Buddhist tradition of understanding John is maybe related to like Kundalini energy in yoga. Um, but in any case, it was like a powerful release of energy that she found actually quite uncomfortable and unpleasant. And it would reappear over and over again every time she sat. And she went to her Zen teacher and he just called it makyo, which is the Japanese Zen term for delusion. You know, and that's basically how Zen teachers talk about all phenomena up until awakening. None of it matters. None of it's a big deal. It's just an illusion. Get over it. Keep sitting, right? And in most cases, that's fine, actually, if it's as hard as it may sound. Because like, what does it matter? Okay, so you're experiencing bliss. Get over it. Okay, like, you know, um, and then, but, but the problem is that it doesn't give Zen teachers or Zen students good tools for when you experience a kind of unfair happy version of this, right? And actually Brasley describes this kind of energetic release as a common problem 
with the first jhanic state and actually has advice he even gives in the book for how to deal with it. And so now I have this really wonderful resource I can give to other people who approach me like this person did. Because this person came to me and said, I don't know. I mean, like all I know is be aware of the breath and note thoughts and maybe think about why you find this so difficult. <laughs> you know, really, you know, it's like, and I kind of realized it was kind of lame, you know, but what else did I have? Um, so it's good to be humble and know that this is a really ancient tradition with lots of little nooks and crannies. And some people will face issues that maybe, you know, different people won't have the tools to address. And so I was really grateful to have this book. And so I think it's not that I actually honestly don't think anyone here needs to read it. I'm not sort of recommending it, but I want you to know of it in case, you know, something weird happens. Like you just, you know, you, you experience something that feels very powerful and you, maybe you just want a little explanation of it or you experience something that's also maybe intense and unpleasant and maybe also that might be a good book to refer to and also of course feel free to to ask me if, if you think the book might have something to speak say to that um so um so i'm not about to give you to go into some lecture about jhana <laughs> you know i'm that's way outside of my competency um but i did want to at least introduce the idea of the jhanas and this particular resource Rasington seems like a really skilled teacher with a lot of experience, both personally and with students. And if you um, experience real intense energy, sort of intense things that um, you might want uh, someone else's perspective on, he might be a good person to turn to. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, I think that covers it. Okay, so, um, any any questions or just comments or room? anything? Hi, Bernie. Oh, hi, Jim. I had a quick comment. I found it so helpful when you were talking about the monkey mind and when things are swirling about and you let off with, oh, I see what's going on. Even though I can't identify the individual thoughts, it's still an aspect of seeing, like you see the swirl. Yeah. Sometimes I confuse uh, the swirl with not seeing, that actually it's something that can be seen. And I, I don't know, I just found that idea very um, relieving. I, I felt the same way when Ezra gave me that tip, because I thought that the only way to do this practice was to label individual thoughts, right? And and sometimes I would like kind of get really anal about it and, and try to like really, and it's like, and then no, it's just like, sometimes you just, it's a swirl. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Can I just say thank you? It feels so wonderful. I'm so glad that it's my first time with you and I appreciate your leadership, but also I was in a wonderful Zen group for about seven years with a group of people who met over in North Adams at the Artist Mill. And I just, it feels so good to be back. So thank you all. Oh, thank you, Jean, and welcome. Welcome to the group, yeah. Um, May I say? Oh, yes. Hi, Stacy. hi. Hi. This, I find this to be very, uh, you to be very delightful. <laughs> um, I've been uh, studying uh, Buddhism, for about 18 years. And uh, I don't 
particularly call myself a Tibetan or an insight or then whatever. But but I I do uh, study every morning and then I meditate and I I have found it to be just uh, incredibly what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's just, it's just insightful, I guess. And, and I have grown a lot mm. in, in over the years and I've got many years to come up of it, but thank you. I, I, uh, I enjoyed this and thank you, Jean, for letting me know about it. <laughs> mm. Welcome Stacey. And you've, you've just moved to Williamstown, right? I, I live in North Adams. Okay, okay. And we we yes, we moved here last June. Okay. Not, good. Yeah. Welcome. Not well, here. I'm working with Tasha about finding ways to get back into her studio. Mm -hmm. Um there are there are limits on capacity that I'm just saying and but I think I'm realizing that whatever I do when I bring that the group back into the studio, I can actually just have the computer exactly where it is now. In front. So it will be the same, you know? So I think if you call in a Zoom, it will actually will look identical, you know? Um, so that, so it's the same for, for people who are in it. I the, the thing that's giving me pause is Tasha's asking me to limit to 16 and therefore I will have to use a sign-up sheet. And I kind of don't want to do that, but I think that might just be what I have to deal with right now, you know? Um, okay. so. Um, if people would mind, you know what I'm gonna ask, 30 seconds of sitting just silent together before we sign off and bow. Okay, wonderful. And um, good to see everyone here. Thank you, everyone. Good night. See you next time. Thanks, Bernie. Thanks, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. Thanks.